Welcome to Leader's Call to Adventure, the show for those who take the road less traveled. I'm Lori Ferentz. This episode is part two of a conversation that I had with Slade Robertson of Shift Your Spirits. In this part of our conversation, we go deeper into the impact that having a stroke had on Slade and how it ultimately cracked open part of him that enabled him to do the work that he's doing now. We talk about how the stroke actually simplified things for him. As he said, he had no options and so he had to do what he could do. I won't talk about that too much, so let's lay do that. But it's interesting how we move from talking about the power of will and self-control and discipline to an aha that we both had via Slate's interview with Frank Butterfield about not trying to control everything. <laughs> and interestingly enough, that same sort of thing came through in the interview that I had with Slade about how <clears throat> we try to manipulate things. So what's the balance? I mean, how do we set a course for a destination and follow through without getting too tight on exactly how we get there? Or even if we get there. <laughs> it's all about addressing the fear of letting go and allowing it to come through you. So all of this and more in this conversation. Lots of good stuff. And I think you're going to like it. I think coincidentally, I uh, recently listened to um, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday podcast or Super Soul Conversations podcast, and she had Jill Bolte-Taylor on there. Have you read the book, My Stroke of Insight? No, I haven't. Really? Mm -mm. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, she was a Harvard-trained neuroscientist that had a stroke. And as a result, I would say she discovered this whole, um, well, her, because she had a very strong operating life brain, this is where the hemorrhage was, uh, the experience of the right brain and really this, this world without boundaries and um, stronger connection uh, to all that is. And it was, it really became sort of an experiment for her but then it was the source of her recreation as a person because all of her memory was also gone and she had to let go of who she was to be um this new person and it was you know there was the opportunity of that as well um to to have the understanding of the knowledge of of, of the right brain and the connection and the real embodied feeling of what that is um, and then to consciously choose who she was going to be. And I was wondering, the stroke experience itself, um, could you talk more about that and what, what that meant for you? Like, who were you before that happened? Who were you after that happened? Hmm. You know, the vanity was one of the things that was the most apparent to me the most quickly. Um, how, you know, when I say that I became a shut in, a lot of it was motivated by that. It was just, the, you know, the horror of looking in the mirror and seeing something that was that wrong with your face, you know, um, when you hadn't had anything like that happen before. And I know, as I say that it sounds superficial, but that's 
perhaps, you know, who I was in, in, in regards to how I thought of myself. Um, the other thing that it really hit me on was my speech, which I obviously think of myself as being like, that's one of my powers, you know? Um, so, uh, it, it really took me down in, in, in both those kind of areas. Um, it, uh, you know, the, the thing was, is that, it was, you know, whenever something like that happens, you always ask, like, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And, um, of course, when people kind of come to me now and, and they're going through something like that, I had a friend who recently fell down a flight of stairs and just really messed up her leg bad, you know, um, at a, at a time when she thought she was headed down another kind of fork in the road and, and then, you know, it was like aborted and, you know, now she's, you know, stuck in a wheelchair. Um, and, you know, we're all talking about uh, people who aren't in these situations long term. Mm -hmm. You know, we I think that there's something psychological about knowing that it will probably get better uh, because even when you're in the midst of that, you you do on some level know it's not going to last forever. Um, and so it's almost like being put in this weird kind of timeout. Uh, where you do really feel a lot of emotions around causing it. Like, did you manifest this horrible thing to happen to you because you needed to be smacked down in some way? Mm -hmm. You know, like you do think those kind of thoughts like, oh, what did I do to deserve this kind of thing? Um, it's a lot easier for me now to tell someone, focus on what you can do with it. Right. You know. Um, you know, why it happened, you're never going to have an answer to, you're going to drive yourself nuts, but you can make it mean something you can choose to make it mean something. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's real easy for me to say that, but in the moment I, um, like I said, I wasn't in my body. It, it took me out of my body. It divorced me from my physical self on a lot of different levels. Um, and it made me just want to be almost like a disembodied brain. And the only activities that I was interested in doing were extremely intellectually focused activities, um, you know, alone kind of thing. And I think that's why the coding really appealed to me because it was something that I could teach myself to do that I would have something to show for all that time spent sort of stuck in that place. And it didn't matter what I looked like and it, didn't require me to talk to anyone and it was something that you could do. Did you was... develop your focus or were you always sort of a disciplined and focused person? Um, I always knew what to do to get an A, <laughs> which is not the same thing. <laughs> uh, I could strategize how to get an A. Um, you know, and for anybody who wants to know, one of the big secrets is you always make an A on the first thing, um, <laughs> that will get you A's for the rest of the semester. Um, so focus on that first paper. Um, but no, I, I knew what to do to, I always felt like I was kind of cheating a little bit and I don't mean cheating like in a literal sense, but, um, a lot of in, in, in college and stuff, a lot of my grades were just based on what I wrote. You know, and the cool thing about writing is, you know, people hate it when they have to write a paper, but it's so much better than a test because when you write, you only have to show what you know. Yeah. 
nobody's quizzing you about what you left out because yeah. you're like, I don't know about that. So I just won't talk about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I can't really say that I was that disciplined or that focused. Also, so much of my academic background was like, uh, liberal arts, you know, um, it was much more, you know, learning to talk about literature and critique art and, you know, all this kind of abstract sort of, uh, stuff. Whereas, um, teaching myself to code, uh, was felt so cool because it was like an actual practical thing. Um, it had very clearly defined boundaries. And the thing that excited me is it was a language with no exceptions to it. Hmm. Um, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, they're, you know, the rules are the rules. And, uh, so if you're good at learning language, it's actually easier than any language you'll learn to speak. Hmm. Interesting. It just comes across to me that anybody that could teach themselves to code to the degree that you did where you were, that became your livelihood, you have to have a degree of discipline and focus because it's not easy. You know, it's, you really have to dive in and, uh, and, and dwell in all that. You can't be distracted. So that's why I asked you that question. Um, if as a result of the stroke, that became something, you know, it was an option that just seemed like obvious to you. Um, or if you think you had the capacity to have done that prior to that. I had the capacity. I don't think anything would have stripped me enough of everything else that was distracting me. Um, because one of the things that I had, you're right, you have to have, um, gobs of time and, and an obsessive focus and nothing distracting you. And so I had nothing else to do. Literally, that was it. That's what I did all day, every day. And so, um, I, there's a, there's a few things that I've done since then where I do feel, like I said, there's something about the repetition and executing something over and over again. And once you crack whatever that is for you, um, because it's not about doing stuff when you're inspired. Oh my God, you can't make a living just waiting for bursts of inspiration to sporadically <laughs> happen to you. You've got to work, you know, and, and, and you, you have to just like sit there and do it. And it's all so really tedious when you think about it. And, um, so my ability to, uh, crack that part of myself, it changed who I am now. Um, I became something of an athlete in my forties because of that same mindset, which was, um, oh, a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, you do it over and over and over and over again. And you have an obsessive um, will. Uh, and the one thing that you do have is will. You know what I mean? Um, when you get right down to it, you always have, even if it's just a speck, it's like nobody can really completely drain that. Um, it's, it's, it's something that you can have and you can develop it and you can grow it and you could demand when you need it, when you want to. Um, I don't think it ever really goes away. And so I think what happened on some level is, um, I didn't want to die. You know, I didn't want to lay down and die. That wasn't an option. Um, so I think maybe it's a blessing to have someone say, you have no option. Here's one thing, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. that, that takes away a lot of the complication for you. Um, but, 
but going through that and doing it over and over again in these different areas, it was like, and you're making me aware of this really at, at, at this moment, it was like I kind of cracked um, something to do with my willpower and perseverance and, and my decision to do things and complete them, right? Yeah. Um, so that's really what I learned how to do. And then it's like everything else is like, okay, what can I do with this next, mm. you know? During that period that you were coding? Mm-hmm. Or, was that what building you, the muscle? I mean, was that period mm -hmm. the one where you were building the muscle so that you mm -hmm. were developing this willpower and experience of yourself that all you need to do is be methodical and follow these steps and persevere and that you will create something as a result of that? Yeah. And also the sense that like going down is not an option, mm. you know, so um, best get on with it. <laughs> because most of us really aren't facing that choice all the time. So that was a time in my life where that choice got really stripped of all distractions. It was, it, you know, it was just a binary zero or a one kind of scenario. And, you know, so I discovered something within myself that was just, it was a one, it was a plus one. And if that's all that I had, <laughs> mm -hmm. then that's what I would do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that has made its way through a lot of stuff. Um, whether it's writing books, I've, I've written long pieces of fiction now that, um, I'd wanted to do my entire life. Um, and again, it wasn't about inspiration. It wasn't about some magical great idea. The difference between, writing a historical novel and not <laughs> is the decision to do it and to sit and work on it every day for, you know, months and months and months. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I learned how to do that. There was a, that there was a power, there was a magic in that. Um, and, uh, it's, it's about control. Now in your will to do this and you're doing it for months and months and months, I, I assume that somehow you found, even though, you know, every day is not about being inspired and it's just about showing up, there must have been something about the process that was enjoyable. Um, otherwise, if you're just you know, going through the daily grind and the drudgery of it, I mean, what is it? Is it, is it the belief that at the end of the day, I'm going to have something? Is that what it is? Or is there something intrinsic and inherent in the process? It's in the process in service of something that you value, right? If you have to go and do it for some data company XYZ, you're going to be miserable because it's not yours. Um, and that's the thing that I learned, you know, with the websites, the difference between put, putting my own energy and content and authenticity into this machinery versus somebody else's um, that, you know, in service to something that you really value, right? That's really purposeful that you dream about doing that you want to bring into the world, whether it's an idea you have or a book you want to write or a show you want to create or um, having kids, I don't know, teaching, whatever it is that you want to do. I don't think that the thing matters that much. It's just um, what I'm saying is that the, you know, if, if, if it's from A to Z, all the other letters in the alphabet are this application of kind of will mm. um, that 
is a really simple thing when you get right down to it. It's a very repetitive thing. It's a series of actions. And it does require a lot of self-control and a lot of discipline, but it only requires self-control and discipline. (laughs) It doesn't require anybody else's permission. It doesn't require anybody else's money. You know, like that is yours. That's why I'm saying I think that that's the thing that you always have a speck of to work with. Yeah, but how do you free yourself? I mean, if in the process of writing um, a fiction novel, for instance, you can't be tied to that thing ever, you know, really bringing you any money to, you know, compensate you for the time that you put into it, right? So mm-hmm. there has to be, I mean, th- th- there's there's a couple of things. You have to, I guess, let go of that, but you also have to know that you are making money, right? So how do you divide up your time so that that worry is not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of... Um, fall into the creative process like oh should I be spending my time this way or should I be doing something else because I don't know if this is going to actually you know make me anything at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um I schedule it plain and simple um I give all the things that I have to do little pockets of time and um they're extremely protected and I don't um value the things that I do for money over the things that I do for passion. Um, obviously I don't spend 95% of my time doing the things for passion, but, um, I do a lot of different things throughout the day and I tend to do them in like little two hour blocks, you know? And, um, so every day has, uh, has its block for whatever it is that I'm doing. So something like working on a fiction project, um, it has two hours of every day from 2.30 to 4.30. And the thing that's interesting about that is books are assets. And again, as you show up and do the work of creating them, as you grow that catalog, they do grow in um, in the money that they bring in. Uh, so it's, it's a very you know, brick by brick kind of thing. Um, I think I learned to do that from blogging because, um, the totality of your influence, um, is not any one piece. It's this like kind of accumulation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, over a great amount of time and to have written, you know, a thousand articles or whatever it is, um, is, uh, you know, the only way you can really kind of execute that and not go nuts and have some kind of quality of life and balance on a daily basis is to, um, you just do it just one little bit at a time, you know, and, uh, that is something that, you know, I do it with my exercise and I do it with my sleep and I do it with my downtime. Um, I schedule time to watch TV. I'm not giving that up. (laughs) (laughs) And do you find, I mean, can you be spontaneous within that structure? Like, do you desire the freedom to just kind of do whatever you feel like doing or is somehow that satisfy that as well? Yeah, I'm not super spontaneous. Um, (laughs) I, I need to, well, I, um, I, I play with that at the micro level. Like for instance, um, I like to, uh, randomly drive a different way, you know, when I'm going somewhere. So, um, I do these little things throughout my routines. My routines have these blocks of time, but I have a complete freedom within those blocks to do whatever I want. 
And so there's a lot of spontaneity that comes in on, on this kind of micro level. And then I would say there's certain times of year um, where I have vacation from all of that. Um, I unplug from it. I completely remove myself from my environment. Uh, usually go camping. That's, you know, my thing. Uh, go out in the woods and, um, and completely not do any of it, you know. <laughs> and I, I found that actually, like, it really didn't suit me being in my 20s, you know, like my friends went out every weekend, you know, and like, kind of, you know, partied at least once or twice a week. And that really didn't suit me. Um, I would have been much happier if we just like, waited for three months, and then we just had a big break for a week and just, you know, went all out. For a week. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of the way that I work. Um, <laughs> so I don't want you to think I don't have any fun. I do. I have concentrated bursts of freedom. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm a cat person. I like this. I like the routine and the the, the just the regular little cycles and cat people like cat people like routine. <laughs> yeah, it's like cat, cats really? are very particular about oh. um, time and uh, and the placement of things in their environment. They're oh. they're meticulously they monitor everything. That's why like you put a piece of paper on a floor, a cat will immediately go and sit on it because it's like it's, the matrix has been interrupted <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> So, um, I think, I think that people who tend to have cats as pets, um, tend to have that kind of, um, mindset a little bit too. Like they like this kind of ordered introverted sort of ritual cycles. And the thing is, is that left to my own explosive scenario, I would tend toward anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, I would tend to be stressed or anxious or overwhelmed or all those things. So, um, to me, it's like all that regularity is very grounding. Mm. So yeah, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I don't look at it as like I'm trapped. I mean, the thing is, is that I didn't choose to be a writer, um, you know, uh, that's like my assignment. <laughs> that's why, that's why I'm here. That's why, I'm here. Yeah. That is why I am here. And so it's my job to figure out what do I have to do to make that happen? Mm. And so all the things we're talking about is kind of like exploring my mind. Uh, you're shrinking me, um, and exposing <laughs> the way that I make it all happen. It's fascinating. It really is. Because I just see you as this incredibly prolific person, right? Uh, really? Yes. Yes. And, you know, you are that you know person that puts things out reg on a regular basis. And, you know, your content is deep. And it's just great. The quality of work is great. So one would wonder how, how that all comes together. Um, and, you know, the, the, the process of getting there, of getting to that space and I would almost venture to say, you know, that in the process, the gift of the stroke, I mean, would you really have been able to dive into this without that? I don't know. I really don't. I wonder what I've ever gotten there, right. you know, some other way or what I've continued to kind of flounder. Um, 
I do believe that there's a blessing in it. Um, I, I, I hear a lot of people with a lot of stories. Uh, turning points like that are usually not good ones. You know, um, most people confront their mortality in some way that redefines, okay, here's what I've got to do. You know, it's not going anywhere. I'm here for a limited amount of time. So what do I need to do to make it happen? And I don't think that you can, I mean, I guess there are people that just, it's just easy for them and maybe it's all very blessed and they just kind of flow through it. But the rest of us learn from the really, really hard stuff, right? But um, isn't it, isn't that when you said the zero and the one scenario, right? Because we're talking about willpower. Wasn't mm -hmm. that when that was really clarified? Your yes. sense of will? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's a sense of will. And I have a hard time um, getting it when people can't tap into that, mm -hmm. you know, like um, when somebody's really struggling and, and they they can't just plant their feet and say no to what's happening to them or they can't just plant their feet and say this changes here. You know what I mean? Like you have to have that like it that has to come from you and you have to have that moment and if it takes you know something really scary and awful and traumatic happening to you it might mm -hmm. you know that seems to be a very common thing that we really require having the rug completely pulled out from under us and having the options really limited in a profound way for us to be like oh okay wait i get it here's the switch right i'm not distracting myself anymore Carry on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you as somebody who doesn't have children. Um, I'm single. Uh, I am able to make this. I'm able to make my work a priority mm -hmm. in a way that, uh, you know, I don't know that everyone could. Um, but it, it's a choice. Yeah. Well, I guess being a mom, you know, I understand these things happen. Things come up, right? You're where you're responsible for other people and that you have to change what you had in, planned, you know, for somebody else. Right. So that definitely, you know, that, that, that definitely helps if you're, if you're single, that you can be more masterful with your time. Although I'm sure that things come up for you too, that interrupt the schedule. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the, and the beauty is when it's yours, you can say, screw it. Yeah. Yesterday, I just said, screw it. I thought, you know what? I've been working every day for too many days in a row. And um, I kind of like to work every day, really, just a little bit every day because it keeps this, sort of the momentum going. But sometimes I just have a day where I just say, ah, oh, I'm just not doing it today. Yeah. And and I do have the freedom to, to not do that. Um, and so I, I, I do that often. Um, of course I make, uh, I mean, <laughs> I took time off on Saturday, uh, from my schedule to go and get all my mom's, um, Christmas stuff out of the attic, uh, <laughs> so that she can, you know, like decorate and, and do all her stuff. And, and that's something that I, you know, I always have to do for her, but, um, you know, I, it's like, would I have done that just because I wanted to for fun? No, it's a responsibility, you know, to someone else. And uh, so, uh, I mean, I am kind of in awe of people who are parents and, and mothers in particular. I kind of think I'm the opposite of a mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
Do you I, even uh, schedule your weekends like that, or is it really like you see it as a work week? Or how how do you how do you divide the time that way? Um. Well, I work fewer hours total every day, but for me, I'd rather work. Um, you know, a few hours at least every day because I'm always thinking about what I'm working on. And so it's actually um, detrimental to not get it down. You know, yeah. it's like I, I lose the, that thought process. So it's like uh, I'd rather, you know, I'm constantly whipping out my phone and making notes, and you know, and stuff like that. So um, but the way that I schedule it is, you know, like I said, I work in kind of two hour blocks of time and I really may only work four or six hours a day. But I do that, you know, seven days a week. So what is that? Like, that's not even full-time hours, really, is it? Right, right. But you make that uh, commitment to do it every every day. Right. Yeah. Um, Saturdays are my busiest day because a lot of people want to talk to me on the phone and do readings and, and mentoring sessions and things like that. And they work during the week. And so they need to be able to do it on Saturday. So I, I do a lot of calls on Saturday. Um, I, uh, Sunday is, um, Sunday's a little bit more low key. Um, but I do, I do the, the writing on Sunday, the, uh, the fiction part. Uh, is, uh, I, I kind of take Sunday off from all of my other jobs, but that one thing, which is kind of more like my passion anyway. And so I'll just do that for a few hours in the afternoon. Um, but I love to work. And I think that's another thing that, you know, I realize is once I get to do the kind of work that I want to do, it's just an extension of who I am. Mm. And it's not about money. If you mm. give me all the money that I need, I'm going to do some form of this pretty close to what I'm doing right now. Yeah, but doesn't the, the fact that you do have things that make you money, that doesn't that give you, I, I don't know, a peace of mind when it comes to the sessions that are just purely for your, you know, creativity? Um, you know, kind of, it creates a safe space for that? I love it. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Um, I get tremendous satisfaction out of what I create. Um, and, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that, um, I can make a living out of my brain, <laughs> you know, like literally just, you know, um, uh, manifesting thoughts, you know, into forms that people can interact with and, um, you know, get something from, um, and it's not that I don't, I have, value all forms of storytelling and I think it's one of the most powerful things in the world. And I see everything that I do as being a form of storytelling, um, whether it's the podcast interviews, uh, like this one, you're telling my story, yes. right? Yeah. You're holding space for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, fiction is storytelling. And then, uh, when, when I do readings for people, I'm basically telling them stories about themselves. Right. I find that fascinating because you went, you wanted to go to school um, to become a counselor, right? <laughs> this was way back when, right? In your, in your late twenties mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and you felt like you needed to have some sort of a degree or diploma in order to be able to do that. Right. Sure. But mm -hmm. that's not a factor for you anymore. 
No. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I like to study and I actually like to be in school. Um, I, the degrees that I have are not expressly valuable of in any uh, explicit way. They're not, you know, professional, uh, degrees. Um, I have a creative writing degree, which is just, you know, like, I don't know, there's a lot of things you can do with that and then you can do nothing with it, you know? Um, but the, the actual, I don't think I, I think I thought I needed the training Mm -hmm. to be a better counselor. I found myself being a counselor and really liking it and, and really coming to understand that it was something meaningful and purposeful in a way that I, you know, never considered myself, uh, necessarily capable of. And so I wanted to be better at it. And so that was my motivation for like going back to school and, and, taking counseling as in the graduate program. Okay. Okay. Um, so the thing that I learned from that is, yeah, I needed those tools and I used those tools. Absolutely. Um, but there's not a degree in being a professional psychic. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, my best uh, case scenario is to, um, use some of those academic tools within that context, um, and do something that's a, you know, a little bit outside of the box. It doesn't require a degree. Um, and I'm not sure that the degrees are as valuable, um, as we think they are. Um, for me personally, it's just learning the tools. And as Barbara Sher talks about in that refuse to choose book, just to kind of go back to that, there's a payoff that you get when you're a scanner. There's a point at which you get what you came to get out of that and you're done. And that may or may not be a diploma. You know, it may just be the like, Ooh, yes. You know, the, the epiphany that you get from one class or, um, you know, a set of, uh, particular coaching tools. Um, the guy found for instance, that I prefer coaching, over therapy, which is, um, you know, more forwardly focused. Um, and you know, it's not about the past, it's about the future and that's much more up my alley. Do you Um, think you could be the counselor that you are today when you're doing your work with individuals if you wouldn't have gone to school for that? I don't, you know, I guess maybe I would have gotten into it as another way. Maybe I would have arrived at it. Uh, you know, you simultaneously feel like, well, I didn't really have to do any of this stuff <laughs> because so so much of it was accessible if I just chose to make it so. Um, and then at the same time, there's this collage, this mosaic of all these little bits and pieces that suddenly all – are useful now. You know, they weren't a random scavenger hunt. I mean, until I was in my mid thirties and started doing this, I kind of considered my entire life to be this kind of random scavenger hunt. (laughs) And, um, you know, then I just said, okay, well, I'm going to dump all my stuff out on the table and see what I can make with it. And once I got that piece, um, that's the piece I needed. But I still collected a lot of good stuff along the way and I still use it. And I use, um, I I think the thing that was the most helpful from the counseling training was, uh, I worked for a counselor as an office manager in a kind of intern situation. And he was my mentor and I learned a lot about what it was that we were doing. 
like, what's the point here? <laughs> you know, like, what are we trying to accomplish? And um, that wasn't necessarily in a formal, you know, book scenario or a test or anything like that. It was just a life experience thing. But it was getting to go behind the curtain and and look around and say, oh, OK, I got it. Right. Um, and again, once I knew that, I kind of and I mean, I think he even kind of said to me, I don't think that you they're not going to like let you talk about spirit guides, <laughs> you know, as a clinical therapist. Like, that's, not, that's not a good idea. Right. Yeah. So I just said, oh, yeah, no, they don't let, it's not magical enough. We need more magic. <laughs> it wasn't a zero or one thing at that point. I mean, there was this whole process that you went through right to get to get to where you are it's not like yeah you know you woke up one day and it's like well i know now i just have to like review my entire past and see what i'm good at and what i like to do and then i'm just going to start <laughs> you know i think it's so much less conscious than we want it to be and it's so much less like having it figured out you know like I, I see these people in their 20s uh, who have this profound anxiety, especially in their mid and late 20s, that they're supposed to have all this stuff figured out. Yeah. But you and I know they need at least another 10 years to get anywhere close. Um, and uh, we need to change the finish line. You know what I mean? Like it needs to be uh, dissolved entirely or um, at least put further down the road because I think you're just kind of like, trying all these different things and they're either working or not working or, you know, they're partially working. They're all doing something and you're not really sure what they're doing. Um, and you might know down the road, it'll make sense. You know, it'll make sense, but you won't, it won't make sense because you went on a mountaintop and meditated your way into, <laughs> yeah. into figuring it out. Yeah. It will, it'll just, it'll work you into that position, um, where you kind of give up a little bit mm -hmm. and that relaxes mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and allows you to go, Oh, you know, well, I got this and this and this, and Oh, maybe I've got more than I thought I did. And your, your attitude about what it is that you're striving so hard for kind of changes. I think we grasp less and less as we get older it just what you're talking about here also brings me back to sort of full circle the reason I asked you to be a guest on my podcast. Uh, you know, it's an idea that I had for a while and we talked about it before, but uh, in listening to the uh, episode that's live right now on your podcast about channeling with Frank Butterfield, uh, the moment or I'm not going to repeat what he said because I don't know if I want to mark this an E <laughs> but the aha from that around trying to manipulate the universe or trying to do things in a certain way that we've got the program so then we can have what we want yes wasn't that amazing yeah. god I love that yeah so I think and I can't even I can't even repeat it. You right. know, like I, I can't like I'm not just trying to make people listen to my podcast, but you, you really have to hear it the way he says it in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That idea of just stop trying to control. Right. 
to stop trying to control everything, trying to stop trying to get what you're trying to get. Yeah. Such a weird Jedi mind yeah, trick. Yeah. Can you, you just know? let go of it? Like just not want it, right? <laughs> Somehow. How do you how do you do that and then still be very disciplined in your work? I'm so glad you asked me that because that episode haunted me, <laughs> um, especially around like the fiction stuff that I do, which is admittedly, it's a newer platform for me. It's not a big job. It's not, it doesn't have the same kind of income or audience around it. Um, but yeah, I thought about that a lot. I thought, okay, well, this is a thing that I've wanted to get for my entire life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for it. I'm striving for it. And so how do I not have that striving anymore? How do I not keep grasping for this and still do it? Right. So that was the the thing that you, you're kind of, it sounds to me like he spoke to you in the same exact moment that, <laughs> that he spoke to me. Um, we got the same, we had the same aha moment. And um, yeah, there's that fear of like, oh, what happens if you let go of your identity around that? Or, you know, what happens if you don't have that defining your true north, your sense of what you're doing and where you're going all the time. Um, and he, like he said, it doesn't mean that you're not still going to do it and it's not going to come to you. It's just the difference between um, allowing it to come through you, I think, and, you know, chasing it. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about what that means for me. And I think I said it a few minutes ago when I was talking about the fact that this is what I was brought here to do, you know, on some really basic level, my sense of purpose is a mystery. I can't tell you why. Why was I chosen to do this thing that I feel is this overwhelming task that I can never let go of? Um, it just is what it is. That is what, uh, that's at my core. And that's not going to go anywhere. Whether I ignore it or chase after it or whatever, it, it has a kind of constantness. You know, it has a um, – it's an ever-present sort of thing. And so I keep telling myself – and it's funny that you asked me this question because I think it as I'm doing it in the afternoon, I'm like, okay, I'm not grasping at this. I'm just doing it. <laughs> just doing it. I'm just here doing it. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. It's, you know, it's it's just what I do. And um, I, I'm I'm wondering, is that, am I doing it right now? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> is that what he meant? Right. Uh, <laughs> do we I, just do nothing, right? It just, everything comes to us. We do nothing. And if we try to do something, it means we're trying to control, right? So like where, you know, how far do you go with that thought, right? I, it makes me think of all those things that you learn how to do, like roller skate or ride a bike or um, play the drums. One of those things where there's a certain amount of muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a runner, if you sat and thought about, the slow motion impact and movement of your limbs and, you know, what every bone and muscle is doing in your body at, you know, at every microsecond of that activity. If you were thinking about that really cerebrally, it would, you would, you oh, wouldn't yeah. get anywhere. Right. You wouldn't be able to do it. Right. But there's a part of you that just does it because you've done it so many times that it is a kind of an autopilot sort of thing. And so 
to me, and I mean, you know, maybe my interpretation of it is wrong, but that's what I kind of heard it as. I, I, I remember that point when I was trying to learn to play like a basic, like drop four drum uh, sequence or whatever. And it's like, you're, you're really nerding out and counting it and it's very awkward and sounds horrible. And then there's something that happens in your mind where it just kind of like relaxes and it just happens and you're observing it and you're thinking, oh, wow, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, don't think about it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. and you, yeah. you have that when you roller skate too, because the moment you start thinking, look at how cool I am, then you're going to fall, yeah. you know? Um, so I think I'm trying to apply that concept. Um, I, what I heard was you're going to do the thing that you're going to do. You've spent a lot of hours, um, learning about it and, you know, exercising it and practicing it. And, um, there is some joy in it and, you know, somewhere there's, there's great forces motivating you to do it. And so I I think kind of what he was trying to say was it's not going to go anywhere if you just let yourself just be in it and not freak out about it so much. Is that what you heard? Yeah, it has to do with trust is what it boils down to. Yeah. Not allowing the fear to be any sort of motivation. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's things that you can do in fear and desperation that another person can do in joy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, I think that that's the switch. I- incidentally, um, Frank told me himself afterwards um, when he went and listened to it, he was like, oh, yeah, that was the Paul, the entity that he channels like right. slipping in. Right. So that was Paul telling us that stuff. It wasn't even Frank. Right. So which Frank, wasn't clear in the podcast, but in your notes. Right. Saw, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, Frank is no good to it. He's no help. <laughs> <laughs> we can't ask him. <laughs> we can't ask him. He can't explain it either. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, how cool to um, – to be able to bring that through. And a lot of people responded to that. So there's something to it. It's really cool. It's a really cool episode. It is. It really is. I think it's one to uh, listen to again, <laughs> for sure, for me, and just that in just that part and reflecting on it now that you and I have talked about it a little bit. I love talking to you. I think it's really cool that you asked me a lot of questions that other people don't ask me. And you asked me a lot of things that I don't really ask myself. So it was, <laughs> yeah. it was really fun. I actually don't like interviews that are going to ask me those that same list of questions all the time that I do the sound bites for. You know, it's like, oh, um, this was much more fun. This was like... Uh, another level of conversation and it was really flattering to be asked well that was super fun I'm thinking I need to revisit that episode again that Slade and I talked about with Frank Butterfield in fact I'd recommend you checking it out too I'd like to get a conversation going finding out what the rest of you might have gotten out of that moment. And you'll know the moment that I'm talking about when you're listening to the episode. Yeah, it's, you you can't miss it. Let's just put it that way. Anyway, check it out. For show notes for this episode, go to my website, www.leaderscalltoadventure.com forward slash nine, and that's number nine. There you'll find links to things that we talked about in this episode. 
I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, here's to your great adventure.